Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas, and welcome back to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your hosts, Martha and Ashley. <laughs> Ashley, do you want to share with the crowd why today was a special day for you? Today was a very special day for me because I had a cavity taken care of in my mouth, and I can't feel the right side of my face. So if I talk a little bit quieter or slower today, like an NPR type of announcer, Mm -hmm. that is why. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, Ashley, even though you can't feel your face, you can feel your heart, and that's what matters for this podcast. That means... So much to me. <laughs> Thank you so much for validating that. That means a lot. Well, uh, regardless, I think that today's podcast is going to be a beautiful one. Um, you know, on this podcast, the hallmark of what we do is having NICU mamas on here, past and present, to share their stories and their journeys, all in the effort to to make our audience know that to know that they're not alone, so that you can feel connected to mamas around the world. And today is no exception. We have um, a woman on this podcast today who has been a formative part of our community. Her name is Nicole Burns. Mm -hmm. Hi, Nicole. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. We're so glad that you're here. Um, Nicole, I think from the second we met her at the Girls' Night Out, we knew she was special. Um, You know, she's Mm -hmm. a very fierce person, very strong. Um, I also think of you as like, the calm inside a storm. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I'm a very frenetic person. I've always looked at you to be someone who is very wise and still. And um, I think there's a lot of reasons why you'll see in this episode, but I have a very special connection and and love for Nicole. So I'm so glad you're here. You're so sweet. Thank you, Martha. <laughs> I echo what Martha said. Um, when we met Nicole, there was like this instant friendship and instant bond, but we both, after that girl's night out, we texted each other and we were like, did we just fall in love with Nicole? I think we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we fell in love with you so so quickly, Nicole, because like Martha mentioned, just your the calm that you brought into that evening and into that room, but also the love that you poured out so effortlessly onto mamas. And anytime a mama said, I'm feeling this way, or I'm feeling alone, you were like this, this mama that rose up and said, you are not alone. You are not crazy. You will get through this. And it was just so remarkable to watch. And so it's just an honor to have you on the podcast and to really get to hear some more intricate details of your story. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I was really honored when you guys reached out to me. I I was really floored to even get the invite. So I've thought highly of your guys' podcast. Yeah. I fell in love with it day one when I found it. And it was and is for so many other mamas just like really the essence of what all NICU mamas need. So mm-hmm. I hope that I can, you know, send a message and tell a story that will reach some other mamas like your guys' stories have reached mine. Mm-hmm. You're so beautiful. We love you. Aw, I love you guys. <laughs> um, so uh, before we get started, we just want to give everyone a heads up that um, Nicole is a multiples mama, but she's also a lost mama too. And this podcast episode will contain conversations about infant loss. And that is a big topic, especially if you're someone who's experienced it yourself. If you feel like you're ready to listen and to connect with Nicole's story, we encourage you to find a place that is safe, that is comforting. And we also encourage you to pause the episode as you need to, um, because we are experiencing it right along with Nicole and it is an honor, but it is a lot to process sometimes too. So just know that you can take whatever time you need to, whatever space you need to, to listen to this. And we love you. So Nicole, Let's start about just the the very beginning of your pregnancy. Uh, How did you find out you were pregnant? Um, So my husband and I found out we were pregnant really early on in the pregnancy. I must have been like five weeks, barely. I'm like, my cycle is like clockwork. So I was like, and we're late. 
Um, <laughs> and we are really blessed in the sense that we weren't trying for long. We just said, okay, now sounds like a good time. And so when we, um, when I took the pregnancy test, I, I was shocked because I thought it would take longer, not because I had any sense of reasons for infertility or anything, but I had just been on birth control for so long that I was like, this is going to take a while. Um, and I was extremely wrong. And so whatever it is, like six or eight weeks that you go in for your first like ultrasound, um, we went in and they started doing the scan and it was quiet for a little bit. And I was just like, this is never good. Like you see in the movies that when things are quiet, like it, it means like it's a loss. And I'm looking at my husband. I was like, okay, like they're going to tell us that, you know, it was a false pregnancy or we've lost the baby. And mm. she's like, I'm going to grab another person to come in. And I was like, yep, <laughs> like for sure we've, oh. we've lost the baby. And um, second person comes in and they're kind of like pointing to the screen and talking to each other, not like ignoring me, but they're definitely more engaged in what's on the screen. And she was like, yep, okay, so it looks like we are looking at a twin pregnancy. Mm. And I just like was floored. I I couldn't, there's twins don't run in our family. And I just never even imagined it. When I talked to other friends, they're like, I always wondered if I'd have a twin pregnancy. Like it never even came across my mind that that would be something that we would experience. Um, yeah. And they were still having difficulty at the beginning of the ultrasound that finding the heartbeat for one of them, they could easily see that there were two sacks. Um, but then eventually like maybe five minutes in, they finally found the heartbeat for the second baby. And we were on this whirlwind of starting a twin pregnancy. Oh my gosh. Especially when you were like, okay, well this might take some time to get pregnant. You get pregnant fairly quickly. And then, oh my goodness, it's twins. I mean, did that, were you excited? Were you kind of scared? Were you like, what the heck are we going to do? How are you feeling? It was all of the above. Um, I think my husband was more excited than I was initially because I was like, oh my God, that's a lot of stuff we need. And oh my God, (laughs) I'm going to be so huge. I'm five foot. Like I felt like I was just going to like fall face forward right away. Um, and it was just like the concept of having two babies um, mm-hmm. coming out at one point in my life. Um, but I was also excited. Like, this is a rare, not extremely rare, but, you know, a rare pregnancy. And it's going to be done with. It was kind of like, all right, we get our one, two, and we're done. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go through a pregnancy twice. So that was nice, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. that, And also, you then kind of enter a different kind of pregnancy, right? Because you're, yeah. okay, carrying a multiples pregnancy is different than a singleton. Right. We um, are automatically considered high risk when you are in the twin pregnancy or multiples. So that carried a lot of anxiety with it. Um, I'm the kind of person that wants to have all the information I not even necessarily like go to Google, but I do, but I just, I'm like, give me all the pamphlets, all the information that I can so that I know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, that came with a lot of anxiety too. Cause you're just like, okay, now I have more information than my brain can hold. And I'm carrying mm-hmm. two little humans inside of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because we found out so early and, we, I told my parents right before we went in for the twin scan. So like we did the like onesie with like, Oh, you're becoming grandparents. (laughs) And it was right before mother's day that we had found out. And so I was like, here, mom, it's your early mother's day gift. And then to like end up calling like two weeks later and being like, and here's an extra one, (laughs) you know? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. And it was also during a really heavy time in our life um, because my mother-in-law my husband's mom was really ill mm-hmm. and so when we had started trying she had been battling cancer breast cancer for 10 plus years mm-hmm. and so we finally kind of made the decision like okay if we want our moms to be a part of our children's lives like we need to kind of get the ball rolling 
And we literally didn't even know yet that we were having twins when we were able to tell her that we were pregnant. Um, and it was just about a week before she passed that we were able to deliver that news to her. Wow. And it was kind of one of the last lucid moments that we had with her. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she said to us was, it's a girl. I know it's a girl. And she has this mm-hmm. mental um, way of thinking that, you know, when um, when someone passes, whether it's a, a man or a woman, like you're going to bring a, a man or a woman into the life afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that was just kind of, I wish we could have told her it was twins. We know that she knows that now, but um, it was yeah. just kind of, it was nice to be able to tell her that, you know, we're bringing life into the world while she's, you know, exiting it though. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you were already starting, you know, this pregnancy that soon became a high risk pregnancy with um, this major life transition and this major grief in your life too. Um, I didn't know that, Nicole. I'm so sorry for your loss, but thank you. also thank you so much for sharing that beautiful memory. I was like, okay, <laughs> the tears now. We're early on already. Yeah. It's been, um, when we, when you asked me to do the podcast, I started to try and think of some timelines and I wrote down everything and I was like, wow, it's been a really mm-hmm. crazy year or a couple yeah. of years. Mm-hmm. And then I looked back at the time frame, and everything that, you know, we'll discuss today has happened in a time frame of 15 months. Wow. And it wow. was just from the time that, you know, my mother-in-law passed into how we go forward. I was just like, oh my God, that wasn't like what could pour into like years and years was right. such a short time frame. Right. right. Yeah. Oh man. And it speaks to you a lot. And we'll get into this later too, but I do think that you, the way you are, you reflect and the wisdom that you have from your experience with it, having it been just a short time since kind of the epicenter of it all, I think is, is a real testament to you, Nicole. I'm sorry. I don't mean to get into a love fest right off the gate. <laughs> that's what we do though. That's, yeah. just, that's just who we are. <laughs> so Nicole, then how were you experiencing you know, neither of us have carried multiples. If, you know, did it feel like the pregnancy was progressing faster? Did you notice changes in your body right away? Yeah, I I definitely felt that I was growing pretty quickly at first. Um, I, I felt like the exhaustion hit me so hard. I'm kind of a night owl and I could not keep my eyes open past like eight o'clock. And it was just a lot of energy drain. And I think a lot of that wasn't just the physical, but there was just a a crazy mental drain because of that anxiety of having that high risk pregnancy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Extra added worry. And um, you went through your appointments and everything and were, were the girls growing and how often did you get to see them? Like, in an ultrasound. So I did not realize how few times a quote unquote normal pregnancy, you get to have ultrasounds. Because I had a a really dear friend that was pregnant at the same time as me, but with a singleton. Um, Her due date, had I gone to term, was two weeks before me. And so we were like gestationally like around the same time. And she was like, yeah, I finally saw, you know, my baby. And I think I got scans like every two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it increased towards the end. Um, they, so from the get-go, and I don't know if it was literally from the get-go when they were having difficulty finding the heartbeat, but from the beginning, um, Twin B, who, who is Avery, she was having some difficulty with her amniotic fluid. So she had low fluid. Um, We found that out, I want to say around 16 or 17 weeks. Mm -hmm. And I started having a little bit of spotting. And at that point, I would go in and they would check me and they didn't see any sort of um, detachment from the placenta. The cervix was still closed. Everything looked good. And that's when they, though, did say, well, it looks like twin B has lower fluid than twin A. They are not um, identical twins, so they weren't concerned about the twin-to-twin transfusion. Um, So they were more concerned with organs. You know, is she um, swallowing the amniotic fluid and um, peeing it out, going through that whole process? was a fun thing to learn how amniotic fluid is made. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at our 20-week anatomy scan, 
they again saw that the fluid was lower and that she was measuring lower um, or, or smaller than twin A. And so with that, they sent us to genetics in um, the city and we started doing more scans, more testing, and they ended up doing the um, amniocentesis. And that was probably one of the most like terrifying first things that I've done, not just like seeing, you know, a needle and all that, but I was, you know, they give you all those warnings, like they have to, of course, Mm -hmm. but it's like, well, if we do this, by the way, there's a chance of, you know, single or both loss. If we do this, there's a chance of, you know, everything going out the window and you can go into uh, start labor right now. And so you had, that was like my first moment where it was like, do we intervene? Do we start to even like Mm -hmm. check what's going on or do we just let this pregnancy progress and see what happens? Um, we did the amniocentesis and all of the genetic results came back normal. Everything looked good. Even on the like 20 week ultrasound, everything looked good. The organs were all working. Everything looked as it should. Um, but at this point, I want to say I was about 22 weeks. She, Avery was measuring almost 12 to 15 days behind Harper. And Mm -hmm. so they classified her as IUGR intrauterine growth restriction with low amniotic fluid. And at that point, I was getting measured, I want to say, every two days going in for ultrasounds. What they were looking for is, I believe it's called the reversal of the cord flow, where um, the, the blood from the placenta, all the nutrients, is no longer going from my body to the placenta slash baby. But um, actually being taken from the baby. Mm -hmm. And so that didn't happen, but it still wasn't getting to enough fluid. So at this point, they are telling me I'm I'm 21, 22 weeks. They're talking to me about whether or not we should do a selective singleton abortion. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to get all the talk about viability options. You know, what happens if you go into labor at this point versus this point, trying to also giving the best odds for twin A, Harper, who is thriving and growing fine. And it was just like mystifying to like sit there in the room and hear all these MFM doctors and research yourself as you shouldn't. And it it was just so much like my anxiety Mm -hmm. was through the roof. Mm -hmm. And I remember I would try and do like anything I could. So they would say like, your fluid's low. So I just started like drinking coconut water because Google (laughs) said that like it was going out of style. And I wouldn't lay on like a specific side because that was the side Avery was on. I was like, I don't want to squish her. She's got less cushion. Like there's just so much that goes Mm -hmm. through your brain. So not to totally jump ahead, Nicole, but I was, I want to know what was it like for you? You said, you mentioned that you were pregnant alongside a real close friend of yours. And from the get-go, your pregnancy looked different naturally because you were carrying two. Mm -hmm. But what was it like when, you know, you started to run into some complications and you were pregnant alongside a close friend? Was that hard? Was it, could you separate the two? What was that like for you? It was, it was good. Um, I think it's partially on my, my friend's part. She, she's amazing. She's a social worker. And Mm -hmm. so she just knows how to talk to people too. And we had a really great conversation at the beginning of like, if anything's going on, that is going to be a trigger for you. Like, let's just not have that conversation. Mm -hmm. If you need to make sure, like, I would try and make sure that I'm giving, you know, enough, you know, support to her as well. Um, Obviously she knew what I was going through was a lot more than what she was having to deal with at the time. And so she was just a really great support in, mm-hmm. in knowing that and also would share some of the the fears and worries that she was having with just a normal singleton first time mom pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And that would help ground me at times where I was like, oh, so like everyone who's pregnant gets scared about everything. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that you're not right. feeling kicks at this point is, you know, something that everyone is Googling. Okay. So right. it was a really good support. And mm-hmm. um, obviously with the the preterm delivery, it 
I feel like it would have been a lot harder for her than for me. Um, but she was like, you know, always there. She, mm-hmm. she was in the hospital the few times that I had to get admitted and wow. would come and be a support. And it, it was a blessing for me. Definitely. Wow. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, you strike me as someone who would be like a good social worker as a therapist. So it's <laughs> not surprising to me that you attract people who are emotionally intelligent and they, mm-hmm. um, they make so much space for other people. Yeah. Um, that's what I actually was planning on doing initially out of high school. Really? Mm-hmm. I can see that too. So Nicole, you mentioned, I mean, you kind of alluded to it just a moment ago, the fact that you had to be admitted to hospital. I mean, that was a lot of information for you to hear about um, Avery and uh, these kind of comments from MFMs, which is maternal fetal specialists, um, saying things like, do you want to consider, you know, a a singleton abortion and things like that? That is so much information to process. Mm -hmm. How did you and your husband take that in? What were the conversations you were having together? I I think that my husband was always so positive and he just at all points of the pregnancy he was like everything is going to work out not in like a naive way he just he really felt that everything was going to work itself out I do think there was a lot of naivety on both of our parts in the sense of like we thought we were going to get to like 34, 36 weeks, no problem. Mm-hmm. We're like, yeah, we know they're going to come early, but like early to us was like 34, 36. So we didn't even really start to think or talk about everything until we were starting to get the one after another kind of scary news. And mm-hmm. I think he just wanted the best odds for all three of us, which we both did. And so he was always kind of the calm. He was always listening to the information, but not taking it with a grain of salt, but just kind of under the impression, like it's, it's going to work out. Like we're okay. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it was a lot for both of us to hear and, and think about. Um, but I feel like when I think back, I was looking through messages of other people that I had talked to during the days leading up to different hospital um, admittances. And it was a lot of comparisons like, oh, you went in at this many weeks, but you were able to stay on bed rest for this long. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you did this. So I I really was reaching. And so that was giving me hope. Like I had a lot of um, in the multiples community, like I'm on a, a I was on a, a twins a moms of multiples group. And so I got reached, I was reached out to by several other moms when they found out of kind of the issues that were going on. Right. And they were like, don't worry, they did this for me. And then we got another like four weeks, don't worry, this happened. And, you know, right. we were, we were home the next day. So yeah. that was helpful in, in a lot of ways too. Yeah. And were you admitted? So once you, when you kind of got that, that first set of news, um, when you were, you just talk about being in the room with all the doctors, yeah. were you immediately admitted to the hospital? We weren't. So when we went for the amniocentesis and we're told, you know, about the low fluid, they, they sent us home and said, you know, we're just going to monitor you. We're going to make sure that the reversal doesn't happen for Avery. Like we want to make sure that if that does happen, we, if you're far enough along, then that means you're going to deliver. And if not, you know, at that point, nature may have to take its course and the the concept of, of losing Avery will still trying to remain pregnant with Harper. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until 24 weeks, um, just about 24 weeks that I, <laughs> it was the first night I had gone out to dinner with a girlfriend in town and I she gave me like kind of like a, a hard talking to like get your mindset in the right place and stop thinking and worrying about everything. And like, let's just, you know, change your mindset and hope and, you know, think of the best possibilities. And I was like, okay. So I downloaded like a, a meditation app that night and I was like, I'm going to take a bath and I never take baths. I was just, I was really focused on trying to change that. Yeah. And so I downloaded the meditation app, got in the bathtub. And as I was exiting out, I was, I saw blood and I had spotted a few times, not consistently, but there were a couple weeks where there was some spotting 
and I would go in and they, they were thinking it was kind of just the pressure of the twin pregnancy on my cervix, but everything looked fine. And, but this was different. This was a lot more blood, not crazy amount, like gushy, no water breaking or anything like that, but bright red and, and more than I was ever used to seeing. Um, and my husband wasn't home yet. So I called him and I knew something was wrong. And I said, you need to get home. We have to go to the hospital. And so we drove to the hospital, which is about like 20, 25 minutes from our house. And I was certain that we had lost Avery or both of them at that point. Um, And I, I was, I was just certain of that. And so we got to the hospital and I didn't know that you go into labor and delivery. You're supposed to. I went to the ER. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't know this. Hit, right. After you hit like 20 weeks or whatever, they're yeah. like, go upstairs instead of yeah. coming here. <laughs> and so we go into labor and delivery and they start checking things out. And the the on-call OB was still saying the same thing. Like everything looks good, but they were thinking like maybe you're having some placental or partial placental abruption. And even when I was told those things, I, I still think back, I'm like, I have no idea what they're saying. Like there needs right. to be such layman's term, even though like when you break it down, you know exactly what that means. Right. Just your mama brain does not comprehend it. I know there needs to be some like one-on-one video yeah. because it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of information and they're so used to saying all these medical terms and we're yeah. like, okay, what? Yeah, right. Totally. And even then I was like, well, we'll just, we'll be home tonight. Like whatever's happening, like it's going to be over and we're just going to be home. And he was saying, uh, the NICU that was at the hospital I was currently at was Mm -hmm. only a level two. So it was made very clear. I was not going home, but I was not staying there. And Mm -hmm. so they gave me the first round of, um, steroids, which is like the most painful shot I've ever received. It burns. And we'd already been in the hospital at that point for like four or five hours. And they're trying to find a hospital with a level three NICU that can accept us because it's not just me. It is also two babies. Right. Right. And so there was the hospital in Walnut Creek, which is about 90 minutes from us that we um, were transferred to via ambulance. And I stayed there for monitoring for about four nights, four or five nights, uh, the bleeding stopped and then it kind of came back, but it was less. So they said, they're going to discharge you, but I needed to stay close to that hospital. Yeah. And so my girlfriend, who's actually, who's actually my best friend and the, the sister of my friend who was pregnant, um, literally packed up her stuff at her house, moved in with her parents and gave her house to Mike and I to stay there so we would be close to the hospital. Oh my goodness. It was like the the sweetest thing ever because it allowed us to stay close and feel, because I was so scared to go home. I didn't want to be, you know, 90 minutes away from a hospital that could accept us. And so I was on bed rest at her house and she'd come and check on me. And and Mike was going back and forth to, um, to work back home. So he would leave in the morning, drive the 90 minutes, go to work, and then come back to sleep with me. Mm. And so I lasted for about 10 days on bed rest at her house. And then I was starting to have really low pain. Mm. And I called the the on-call OB. And she was like, oh, it's probably round ligament pain. And I'm 26 weeks exactly at this point. And... I was like round ligament pain. So I'm like Googling that. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like round ligament pain. Okay, I'll go with that. Um, and I started to, oh, actually, no, Mike was also not home that night. He was feeling a little ill and like he had a cold and he's like, I just don't want to be around you and get you sick. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. You stay home. Like, I'll see you the next day. And the night, like, it progressed, and it just got worse and more painful, and I called again, and I was like, I really, like, I'm having trouble walking, like, I'm kind of bent over, and they're like, yeah, this is pretty typical, like, just drink some water and go to sleep. So somehow I, I fell asleep, and then, like, the next morning, I was just in agonizing pain, and, mm-hmm. and Mike left, came came to get me. We went to 
the hospital. And when we, when we got there, I was having contractions, full on contractions. Mm -hmm. And my cervix was showing that it was shortening. And I was about a centimeter dilated at that point. Mm -hmm. So I was admitted for the second time. And at that point I knew I wasn't going anywhere. Um, They gave me the second round of the steroids. And then we started on the good old mag, (laughs) which makes you feel crazy. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Um, And I was on – it was three days of on and off mag, Mm -hmm. and um, they would just keep checking. I wasn't really dilating for the first, like, 24 hours, which was what they wanted. Um, And then on day three – Um, the contractions at that point, they just really couldn't stop them. And I was starting to dilate. Um, And then I ended up getting a fever. And at Mm -hmm. that point, it was uh, emergency C-section time. And so um, my body was just done. I I couldn't Mm -hmm. even move. And even during those three days, I saw so many, so many doctors, so many you know, neonatologist, again, telling me the odds of what's going to happen, what could happen. And everyone going back and forth of, do we want to do a natural or do we want to do C-section? Like what's safer because Avery is smaller and has low fluid. And so up until like having the fever, I still didn't know if I was going to have a natural or a C-section. I didn't know if I was going to have a baby now or in like two weeks. It was Mm -hmm. just maddening to like, you had no control over what was going on anymore. Yeah. And so when they decided, okay, we have to go, we got to go to the emergency C-section now, did you have any moment of clarity or like understanding of this is happening right now, you or Mike? Um, I think we, we knew it had to happen at that point. Uh, my body was so toast. I, I couldn't even, I couldn't sit up. I, I could barely keep my eyes open. And so it was apparent that I was ill and -hmm. therefore we needed to make sure that I was going to be okay Mm -hmm. along with the babies. And luckily the babies were still not in distress of any sort. So that was really nice to hear. Um, But we still hadn't even thought about names. Like I feel like it was like, (laughs) as they were like wheeling us out, I was like, how about these two? (laughs) And I had no idea because I don't watch this show. um, What's it called? Um, Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. Apparently Harper and Avery is a wing or something or people in there. And so oh. all of these doctors are like, oh, so you're a really big Grey's Anatomy fan? I was like, I've literally never watched this show. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that was really entertaining. That's funny. Oh my gosh. Side note. Were you awake? I was awake. Um wow. and there was probably fifteen to eighteen people in the emergency room in the operating room Mm. it was super overwhelming they got me on there um gave me the epidural and Mike wasn't even in the room yet and Mm. I was like we can't do this without him I'm like I'm not ready for this um I have a pretty great fear of doctors to begin with so that was a lot to be doing on my own at that point um so luckily they let him in like right as they had cut me my poor husband got to oh my gosh, walk that way. <laughs> um, and so he's, you know, on the, by my head during the whole thing. Um, and when they pulled um, Harper out first and I, I just saw, you know, a glimpse of her as they brought her over to the warming table and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was apparent she was tiny. She was born at, um, one pound 15 ounces Mm -hmm. and then I want to say it it felt like so much longer but it was really only like two minutes um that Avery was pulled out and she was one pound 6.8 ounces Mm -hmm. and there was this moment I saw with with Mike where he was like where do I go because they're obviously rushing the girls off to the NICU and here I am on a table and I was like, go, go with the girls, go see what's going on. Um, he didn't stay there long because they kind of kick you out. And when he came back, you know, my first question is, you know, are they breathing? Are they, what's going on? And, you know, it sounded 
pretty good. They were, um, they were both alive. Um, and at that point, that was all that mattered because mm-hmm. I felt like for the past eight weeks, I was being told that I may not have either, but I definitely mm-hmm. wasn't going to have Avery in our life. And that was, that was like the pivotal moment where I was like, they're here, they're alive, they're breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, I was in recovery for a while. I ended up losing like two liters of blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just, I was so done. Um, I remember Mike coming back into the room and my sister came into the recovery next to me as well. And he showed us a video and it was of Avery crying. Oh. And it's the only video, you know, that I have of her crying. And mm. I looked and all three of us were just bawling because mm, yeah. it was like, she's here, she's breathing, she's crying. Mm. Um, yeah. And it was just, it was just the greatest moment ever. Mm. So, and I mean, especially like you said, you're, and it's the, the greatest, you know, unjust injustice I think the fact that we are at the epicenter of this trauma you know delivering the babies and then immediately we're so separated from them mm-hmm. and we have to wait to get knowledge you know um oh that is I can just picture it and it's so beautiful but at the same time you were so very sick like you must have had an infection too right because of your fever or yeah they, they suspected an infection um I think it was due to so many checks for the cervix that I ended yeah. up just getting um, E. coli. And so I was... <gasps> Nicole, we're E. coli I know, twins. I know. I mean, when I, I told you, Martha, when I heard your story, I was like, um, everything <laughs> right now, you speak to me because oh. you had E. coli too. <laughs> I know. It's so weird to be like E. coli twins. But I, my favorite thing to do is there was like an outbreak at Chipotle a couple of years ago and someone was like, oh, do you not want to get that because it has E. coli? And I'm like, I was like, been there, done that girl. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Oh man. So, oh gosh, that's so hard though. I mean, uh, and it progresses so quickly too. I mean, and that's, yeah. and your body is recovering from massive surgery as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how long were you in post-op? Um, I was there for four or five days, I want to say. Mm. Um, what was really the the most difficult part of the recovery was I had lost so much blood that I was so iron deficient. And so I couldn't even stand. Like, of course, with after a C-section, you feel oh awful and you can't walk. But I mean, I couldn't do the bare minimum that I was everyone was expecting and that I thought I could do. And finally, when I got um, IV iron, I was feeling better. And that helped a lot on top of all the antibiotics, of course. Right. So that recovery, that feeling was, I felt like made the whole process even more difficult. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And how long did you have to wait till you got to meet the girls? I was able to meet them late, late that night. Mm. Um, I was insistent on it. I, you know, the video wasn't sufficient for me. Luckily, the NICU was on the same floor. So I was able to um, be wheeled there. So I I got to see them both that night. um, But I definitely wasn't able to even touch them at that point. Um, They were initially both on CPAP which I was told was, was really great news. Um, they, neither of them had to be intubated. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was just kind of my first intro. I remember just hearing all those NICU terms, the A's, B's and D's and even CPAP and just, we had an open NICU. Um, and so it's just, you know, like curtains between. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was, it was a lot to walk into and, Mm -hmm. um, I was already on that like pumping journey also. Mm -hmm. So like you felt like you're just, your body is not yours. I mean, Mm -hmm. I already felt like my body wasn't mine since the pregnancy, but then like it was even more so not yours. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's so incredible that you could be like very, very ill, like critically ill. And they're like, but you can still pump. Oh my God. Like, you know, and, and so, and of course, you know, it, it's also this, this thing that you can do to be connected to your babies too. Um, but 
it's uh, immediately become so regimented. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Um, they were literally like pinching colostrum out of me <laughs> on the recovery table still before mm-hmm. I even oh got wheeled God. into postpartum. Mm. And what did you think when you saw them both for the first time? I know you were pretty, you know, kind of out of it, I'm guessing, but. It was, it was a lot. It was a feeling of, again, so grateful they're here, um, but also so much sadness that they were here. Um mm-hmm. I, I had experience through friends of um, micro preemies and I was scared. I was scared for what was to come. Um, I knew we were far from home. I knew that this wasn't a short trip that we were going on. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a lot of overwhelming feelings. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you start to recover. You said you spent five days in the hospital afterwards recovering? I think it was five days. Okay. And then were you, when you were discharged, were you still staying at your friend's house too? So I, we went home that night and we decided we were going to go home. Yeah. And I hadn't been home at that point in probably almost like a month and a half. Mm. Um, and wow. so it, I really felt like I needed to go home. I needed to be in my bed. I wanted to shower in my shower and just be home. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously I preferred to be with them, but if I had, if I couldn't be there, I wanted to be home. Yeah. And so I anticipated doing that 90 minute drive and I couldn't drive yet still, of course, because of the, um, C-section. So we were driving back and forth and I was really spending all my time there. Um, and then it was, I want to say, right before I was cleared to drive, my mom drove me there. And like a block and a half from the hospital, we got into a car accident. No. Oh, my gosh. And um, the seatbelt, of course, sits <gasps> like right over your C-section. Oh and my so gosh. we're oh. like, we're so close to the hospital, but they like, they still want to call like an ambulance. And I was like, can you just like drive? Like, I can't walk, but like, can you drive me in your police car <laughs> to the hospital? Like, I see it. We're so <sighs> close. So I go and um, I obviously get checked out and um, everything is fine. Um, just bruised and, and sore and but I, I felt like internally that definitely did another like drawback of like the oh, healing. Oh, absolutely. Um, oh yeah. So I, I think that was 10 or 11 days. It was the day before um, my baby shower that had been planned that we were still oh. going to have. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, that was the other thing with the pregnancy is like so much of my pregnancy was so upsetting and so hard that like when my mom had posed to me, like, do you still want to do your baby shower? I did. I wanted Mm -hmm. these girls and myself in a selfish way. I wanted to feel celebrated and I wanted to celebrate their existence and that they, and we have like defied all the odds and we're here. We're all here. And so, you know, that was kind of like the highlight. That was like the one day that I wasn't in the NICU Mm -hmm. and they were like 10 or 11 days old at that point. So did you do the shower then? We did the shower. Yeah. Oh my okay. goodness, Nicole. And- <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And I just want to say how commendable that is for many reasons. Number one, that you just acknowledged that, you know what, we need to be celebrated because amen to that. But two, you realize like, because I also had a baby shower when my- Silas was in the NICU mm-hmm. and I don't know about you, but it felt incredibly vulnerable mm-hmm. to be in a room of people that were staring at you wanting updates and mm-hmm. you didn't know how to give those updates. So I'm curious, what was the shower like for you? It's so funny you say that um, because no one really knew what to say to me. Um, right. And so I, people were kind of trickling in and they would start asking those questions. And I finally just said, I'm going to give an update. Yes. Like (laughs) let's all like get our food. Like I will speak to everyone. So I did kind of like an overall update. Um, And a lot of as open as I am with kind of our, um, our NICU mama community, I'm not that open with everyone else in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. So really no one knew the, the, trials that we were going through with our pregnancy um I it wasn't that I wasn't telling them I just was kind of keeping all of that from them 
And so um, I gave them kind of the, the whole rundown of what had happened and why from what we, what we knew. Um, and so that was kind of, it was nice to tell everyone finally mm-hmm. what had happened and why. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, if you haven't gone through a NICU experience or if you haven't been around preemies or micro preemies, like no one gets it. You know, of course we bring the right. little diaper with us and there's pictures, <laughs> yeah. but like you, you still don't. I, yeah. I made a, um, like a memory box for them. So that mm-hmm. had kind of like an idea of, of little items around, surrounding them. Yeah. 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 And did you feel celebrated? I did. It felt Good. really nice to, to smile. And I felt like we were, were making like a turn in yeah. everything yeah. because it was, they were 10 days old. They were, um, I think Harper now was on um, low flow or high flow. She was off CPAP. And so again, I was just like, we're, we're doing good. Like we're accelerating. And, and we were still in that like kind of sweet spot. Mm-hmm. So right. I felt celebrated. I was excited right. to talk about it. I was excited to be a mom. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad that you honored that part of your heart because I think sometimes it can feel like, should I take a day for myself? Like, you know, it feels so vulnerable, but I'm so glad that you honored that part of you and that you brought people into where you were at in your journey. That's, that's so remarkable and really took a lot of courage to do. So I'm so proud of you for, for doing that. Thank you. Yeah. It took a lot of time to think about, but when it Mm -hmm. came down to it, it was just like, this is what, what my heart needs. And this is what I want to do for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So you talk about a little bit, but I mean, the girls made some incredible strides in a very short period of time. I think you know, yeah. a, a lot of our audience understands this, but micro preemies, the fact that neither of them had to be intubated yeah. is pretty incredible. Um, and they, like you said, they, uh, they were making progress. Uh, how was your experience when you were in there day to day with them? It was, it was a lot. Um, at that point, at this point, Mike had gone back to work. And so I was driving myself there. Um, and he would come either in the evening or, you know, on every other day or something of that sort. And so, um, we would, um, we'd spend all of our time there and it was, I, I had only held Avery. I I held Avery, um, the day before the baby shower. So I'd held her once and then I'd held Harper once, um, but it, it seemed like I was getting into kind of a flow of things and right. understanding, you know, the rounds and understanding kind of what to expect. You know, we had had our head scans and they came back good. And, and like, that was a really pivotal moment for me because I was obviously concerned more so for Avery than Harper because she was smaller about those brain scans. And um, when they came back, normal, I again was like, okay, we passed another test, you know, we passed another hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um, now Avery had had some kind of feeding issues from the beginning. Um, they chalked it up to her just like not pooping well. And so they were giving her um, like glycerin and laxatives and she was kind of on and off again with her eating and they would kind of put her NPO and then they'd put her off. Um, and it was around the day after the baby shower that they started to think that she was having an infection. So they put her on um, some antibiotics while the test results were coming back um, just because she was requiring more um, oxygen. She wasn't doing well with the feedings. Um, And then they took her off and said, no, everything came back normal. So we'll, we'll take her off because they don't want to keep you, um, keep babies on antibiotics because they don't want them to create like a immunity to it. Right. And so it was this on again, off again situation. Um, but it still felt like everything was okay. Mm -hmm. And that this was just the normal part of a micropremie. Like everything was just kind of how it would be. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it was, um, so on day 15 of their lives that, um, she just was still having more difficulty. I had been there late the night before and she had looked really pale, really, really thin. Mm -hmm. Like her skin was already really thin, but, um, her, her coloring was really pale 
And so they said that they needed to start some blood transfusions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got the call that morning that um, she was declining. They felt in order to help her, you know, heal or, you know, not struggle so much and, and rest that they wanted to intubate her. And that was the first time I was like, I, I didn't think we would have backslides. Like there's this naive part of the whole NICU journey where you kind of, you just think it's steps forward when you get to a certain point at the very beginning, you're like, I understand it's, you know, three steps forward, five steps back. But I felt like we were past that. Mm, Um, and so when I got in that day, um, it was apparent that she was struggling. Um, Mm. and it was the day that, um, my girlfriend who was pregnant and her husband were actually going to come and we were going to go to lunch and, um, and they were going to meet um, the girls. And so when my our primary nurse saw us, I, I said, like, should I not have visitors? Like, is now not a good time now? And she said, I think it would be really good for you to have company. And I didn't really. So that gave me, again, like kind of this moment of being like, it's okay then. Mm-hmm. So we went to, to lunch just down the, the street. And then I was going to bring them back to meet the girls. And... Um, I got the call as we were coming back saying that um, they needed me to be there because they were talking about transferring Avery. And then I was like, oh, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Like I was just there 45 minutes ago and I was like, I'm on my way back right now. Um, and so when we got up there, um, that's when they started talking about an infection and um, her stomach was getting really bloated and I, it was like, it went from like bad to worse in the blink of an eye. Um, and so they were going to be transferring us to, um, another hospital in Oakland, which was, you know, maybe a a 20 minute ambulance ride. And at this point I'm, I'm calling my sister and my, and Mike being like, I don't know what's going on. So you guys need to come because I don't have a car (laughs) and, or maybe I did have a car. And, um, they came and they started talking about the possibility of necrotizing endocolitis neck, Mm. which again, first time I'm hearing this word, first time I'm talking about it and they're talking about potentially needing to do surgery to see if there's, um, the, the bowels are infected and to what extent, and I'm just glazed over, really not understanding. My thought right then and there was, are we taking Harper also? Like, I, I couldn't even fathom the idea of them being separated and, and going between. Like, that's where your right. brain is. It's just this really strange process. Um, and so I felt like it took forever to get her into Avery, into the isolate for transport. And then they finally get her loaded in and we are following behind um and it was just this really eerie feeling that um something was was more than not okay and we got to the hospital and they keep telling me like just meet us up there just meet us up there and I was like I'm riding in the elevator with you I'm going where you're going I'm going where my my child is going and we get into the the NICU at the new hospital and right from the start um, it's apparent that she had um, stopped breathing I don't know if it happened during the transport at all or if it just started once she got to the hospital so they had started CPR and I just remember feeling like I was in one of those movies where you're like you're just I screaming. I just remember begging and anyone that passed by just begging that they, they save her. And there were so many people mm-hmm. in the hospital and with her and I can, I can hear the counting. I can hear the way that they're treating her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a brief moment where they, they did get her back um, to breathing and then it, it faltered again. Um, and they had finally come out to the room to talk to us, um, and said that they have at this point exhausted their options 
and if they were to be able to resuscitate her again because they had used the epinephrine a couple times already that um, they don't know what damage has been potentially done Um, and they said that it would be in the best interest for her that they don't resume for another um, another try and it was just this unbelievable moment where what I thought was going to happen inside me was now happening and I was watching it. It was this moment of I was setting myself up to understand and expect to lose her at some point of the pregnancy. And when it didn't happen, I, we, I felt untouchable. And now what I feared is really happening is happening. And you and Mike were together at that point, yeah? Mike and I were there with um, my sister also. Yeah. And when they told you that information, I mean, how did you even, how did you even decide to move forward? I mean, just knowing, knowing the weight of this decision, I mean, it's not our decision, but you have to make a choice to move forward. Yeah. Can you describe how that was for you? I think it was a lot of of out-of-body experience still. Um, It was very apparent that what had happened happened. There was no denying it. Um, But I also had another sick baby that I needed to pull myself together. Um, I don't think I really captured what was going to happen the next day or even the next hour um I remember telling my sister that I needed to pump and my sister like looked at me crazy and I said can you go find um a nurse with and get me a pump and I was literally in the room next door pumping an hour after this all happened um And that to me was the only thing that I knew how to do to my living, for my living child. Um, I finally, um, I went back into the room at this point and it was the first time that I was actually able to hold Avery in my arms. Mm. Um, And it was this really odd moment because I just there wasn't anything that you could do there wasn't anything that could change what had happened there were there was no other statistics or odds to think or talk about it was it was very final Mm -hmm. um we spent a lot of time with her um Mike held her my sister got to hold her um and there was just the moment when we finally, you know, said like, she's not here, you know, her, her, her soul isn't here in this room. Um, there's no light behind her eyes or warmth in her anymore. Um, and as agonizing as that was and is, there's also a time where you just have to, you have to say goodbye. And so we, uh, we drove back to the, the NICU that, that Harper was in and we got into the parking lot. And even though like I wanted to see Harper, I just, I knew I couldn't, I knew I couldn't Mm -hmm. go through um, those doors and see the isolate that Avery was supposed to be in. I Nicole, I just want to say thank you for sharing that bit of Avery with us. Um, my heart breaks for you. I wish I could have wrapped my arms around you at that time, you know, just having been there myself. And I just understand there are no words, you know, and it's, we can tell, you know, in the way you share it right now, like your love for her is as present as it was that day, you know, um, and thank you so much. It is, it's truly an honor to have heard that story 
um, and to hear about her life. So thank you for sharing that with us. Of course. And I, I think too, um, yeah, I, you know how you talk about coming back to the SNCU and uh, where Harper is. Um, the really difficult thing for twin lost parents is, especially in the NICU, is you is the urgency that you have to move forward for this other child for Harper, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, you know, if you could talk a bit about how did you even begin to process grief while you were in the midst of the trauma and the fight for Harper as well? I I don't think I did. You know, I... I don't want to say I, I pushed it aside necessarily. There was no question that I was grieving, but it was not the the main focal point at this point. Um, I I definitely um, I had moments where I I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't really think of what to do next. But at the same time, my phone would be ringing for updates on, you know, Harper from the NICU. Um, Or I knew one of us, both of us needed to be bedside. And so life goes on. That was truly made apparent in, in that moment. Um, You guys talk about that duality of emotions and that was definitely my first introduction to severe duality of emotions. Um, it was it was hard. There was times where you just kind of feel like a split personality. You're just trying to to survive. You're trying to thrive. You're trying to do what's expected and needed of you from all facets of life. Yeah. So Nicole, we are so grateful. Um, as a lost mama, I know what a big deal it is to share about your kid. I mean, in, in some ways it's, it is so gut wrenching to re kind of process it all and you feel the feelings again, but also I feel really blessed to know, to know about Avery through you. And I feel like I know her a bit because of you. And that's, that's so special. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, what is one memory of Avery that she'll carry with you? Um, or one memory that you're going to plan on sharing with Harper as she grows up? I don't know if it's so much like a memory as it is kind of like her essence and her like personality. Um, she, you think Harper had like sass or has sass. Like Avery was, yeah, Avery was the like drama queen of the NICU, mm-hmm. um, which is really funny because like Harper was this really calm and like chill baby and Avery would pull off her mask at every time that she could and scream because she had like a drop of pee in her diaper. And <laughs> I feel like since Avery's passing that sass and attitude is her presence in Harper. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of when I think of like the sass and attitude that makes me think of Avery whenever it comes mm-hmm. out of Harper. So I feel like that's kind of their unity together. I love that. That's beautiful. That's so special. And I think that's something that's so cool about that she was so small, right? And was hooked up like all NICU babies are, but you could still see so much of her already. Um, And that's so beautiful. Oh, these girls are so lucky that you're their mom, Nicole. Um, I love the way that you talk about them too. It, It makes me just feel warm and feel feel what it would be like to be them. You know, they just, they're blessed. Well, mamas, thank you so much for tuning in to part one of Nicole's motherhood and NICU journey. Um, This will be a two-part episode. There is a lot to unpack still about Nicole's story and a lot to hear about how Miss Harper journeyed through the NICU and also how Nicole navigates being a twin mama and a lost mama and what that means to carry both of those titles. And so Nicole will be back. We will hopefully release that part two next week. But like Martha said, um, if this episode, if you need to process it, if you need to, you know, find that safe space, if you need to take care of your heart, just 
remember to do that. And Nicole, thank you so much for sharing so beautifully and so vulnerably with us. Like Martha said, it was truly an honor to hear more about Avery and who she is and who she was. And you talk about her in such a tender way and your love just is communicated in every word that you said. Thanks ladies for having me. It was really an honor to be able to meet with you guys and share our story. And I also can't believe that, like you said, this all happened in like a 15-month time frame. I'm still wrapping my mind around that. And also the car accident on the way to the hospital. I'm still like, what? (laughs) And so your journey is truly jam-packed with a lot, Mama. And you are so resilient and incredible. And it's an honor to have you on the podcast. So we are very excited to have you back. And Mamas, thank you again for being here with us. It's always an honor to share this space with you. So have a wonderful evening and we will connect with you guys next time. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, please consider becoming a member of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear NICU Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the sisterhood.